The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I've practiced as a geotechnical engineer for over 18 years. And in addition to practicing engineering, I enjoy mentoring young engineers and first-generation college students. I've focused on helping to increase the number of pre-college students that are interested in STEAM majors and fields. By STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking to Luke Turco, the Director of Geotechnical Services for Navarro and Wright Consulting Engineers Incorporated, also known as NNW. And we'll be talking about how you can make the most of every opportunity that presents itself to you in your engineering career. NNW is a full-service civil engineering firm serving public and private clients in the Mid-Atlantic region. Luke resides in the greater Pittsburgh area and has responsibilities that include overseeing and managing approximately 20 employees located in four offices across Pennsylvania, Maryland, as well as managing and working on geotechnical projects. Luke specializes in transportation projects in Pennsylvania and was a lead geotechnical engineer for Section 55A2 of the Pennsylvania Turnpike Southern Beltway Project. He holds a bachelor's and master's degree in civil engineering and he has a focus in geotechnical engineering, and that was from the University of Pittsburgh. He's a licensed engineer in six states and also has international experience. He worked in 2006 in Jamaica and in 2018 in Uganda. In his free time, Luke enjoys spending time with his wife and three kids. He volunteers as a soccer and t-ball coach and enjoys woodworking, pit sports, and telling a good dad joke. And with that, Let's jump right into our conversation with Luke Turco. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Luke, glad to have you on the show. How are you feeling, man? Good. Glad to be on. Excited. We just introduced you to our listeners. We said your bio, but like if we say in your own words... What can you tell us about your career path? And also, what is it that you do at NNW? Like a lot of engineers, um, I was good at like math and physics in high school. And then um, I actually took an engineering drawing class my senior year. And we went on a field trip to a new highway that hadn't been opened yet, the Monfayette Expressway. And apparently I came home after the field trip and just talked about this highway to my mom. She was like, you just kept talking about this highway. <laughs> you must really like this. And I was like, yeah, it was really neat. They showed us these bridges and stuff. I was like, I think I want to do this. So went to school at Pitt for uh, civil engineering and then was there a couple semesters, decided, hey, I'll do the co-op program, get some internship experience. There was like five or six of us. We interned at PennDOT the local district office. And they said, name three disciplines you're interested in. And out of the six, I was the only one who said geotech. I said two others, but I said geotech. So by default, I was the lone person who had interest in geotech. And I hadn't even taken soil mechanics, anything. I was just like, we'll make you this offer. So I, so I took it and I've been in geotechnical engineering 
since then, so I took, you know, soil mechanics and um, went through. By the time I ended at PennDOT, I uh, decided I didn't want to do state work. I wanted to do consulting. And those guys were great. They helped me get an internship at Michael Baker. I interned there in my last semester and then kind of rolled into working full-time at Baker and then stayed at Baker for eight years, got my uh, master's degree, night school, got my PE while I was at Baker, you know, great company. And then Marcellus Shale boom happened in kind of the Pittsburgh area. And uh, there was a lot of opportunity. So I jumped to URS and then we got bought up by AECOM later, another good company. I was there six years and kind of progressed up to a management role. The last three years I've been with Navarre and Wright, which is a 200 person firm in the mid-Atlantic. Started out as the Pittsburgh Geotechnical Group Manager, but now I'm Director of Geotechnical Services for the company. So I have uh, 19 geoprofessionals in four offices, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philly, Baltimore. It's new for me because it's such a new role. I've been in like two months. It's a lot of uh, staffing issues, proposal writing, budget issues, kind of like putting pieces in place. I still manage some projects in Pittsburgh, but uh, it's a new role. It's exciting, something different. It's always good to keep moving up. So I had a funny story about Sebastian. Do you mind if I tell this now? Go for it. So Sebastian, you had him on in December, I think, and he tells a great story. So I did this co-op at Pitt. To get credit for the co-op, we had to do a presentation. And it was the same day as senior design. Jared, you probably did senior design. Yep, we had capstone design. Yep. Yeah, we had to do a presentation. So we did our senior design. Everybody wanted to go to Hemingway's, which is the bar at Pitt to go celebrate. And so we went during me and my group, like every group was there and we're drinking. And I was like, oh, I co-opted and I had to give this presentation on my internship. So I had to run up and find the Dr. Vallejo to give him this presentation. It was just like five minutes just so I could get credit for the, my internship. And he grabbed his TAs and one was Sebastian. So I give this like five minute presentation, like two beers in, whatever. Like it, I just fly through it, think nothing of it. Three or four years later, I run into Sebastian at a, like a FHWA design class or something. And at the break, he walks up. He's like, hey, Luke, I want to tell you something. And I'm thinking like, what does Sebastian want to tell me? And he's like, hey, you remember when you gave that presentation? I'm like, not really. And then he goes, you said something that had this like big impact on me. And I was like, what did I say? He said, you said like everything in school you learn, you apply these formulas to like uh, Ottawa Sands or Chicago Clays, these like clays and sands and then you showed me a boring log you got at PennDOT and it was like silty sand with gravel and clay and I was like so you have to take these equations and apply to this boring log he said I thought so much about that afterwards I because he was at his PhD and hadn't thought about that but uh I just thought that was funny the reality is that you know when you're presenting you never know who's in your audience and you never know how they're going to receive what you're sharing yeah, that he remembered that I said that, <laughs> like blew my mind. So That's awesome. You thought you were talking for five minutes to get credit. And, you know, there's a design professional that's like, hey, interesting. Yeah, something I said caught its ear. So. And then when we think about your career, it looks like you've had several opportunities to work on different types of projects and you work for different types of clients. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about some of these projects and how did these opportunities come about? That is one thing, you know, if you go work for a large company, there's a lot of different disciplines there, a lot of different groups. So you can take advantage of that, like jump on opportunities to work for all kinds of clients. So I interned in the geotech unit. We were talking about this at Baker. And then I like all excited, I'm going to do geotech, you know, and then uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. Two weeks before I start, they're like, 
hey, all this work kicked up from our Alexandria office because they're all helping FEMA down at Hurricane Katrina. So they said, we have all these Lomar and Clomar reviews to do for FEMA. What's a Lomar? I, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I interned in the geotech group. So I did that for six months, learning how to review these. And what they are, they're, you know, people want to change the flood map. You know, they either raised grade or put in a culvert or whatever. It's reviewing these map changes. You adapt and do the best you can and then pivot when an opportunity comes up to the next thing. Actually, my first job to get out of doing that was at Baker. They said, hey, we're drilling these test borings in Jamaica. Can you jump on this job? So my first full-time assignment as a geotechnical engineer was in Jamaica. How long was the assignment? It was a month. We ended up being there a month. Yeah. So I did that and then got back and then I was back in the geotech unit. But we did all kinds of different projects, um, tailings dams for the mining industry, uh, landfill liners, worked on the, the border fence in, uh, along the Rio Grande levees, uh, Plaque Mines Parish did levees there. And then when I was with AECOM, got the opportunity to work in Uganda, which was like another amazing experience. A lot came up and just, I tried to jump on them when they could and took what I could out of them to network with new people and uh, advance my career by just diversifying the best I could. Sounds great. So those opportunities, would you say you looked for them or did somebody say, who wants to do this? And you raised your hand or did somebody just tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, we want you to go to Jamaica or Uganda? I think it was a little bit of both, you know, like I know you have a question later about Jamaica and Uganda. I can go into those a little more. Those were a little different, but um, yeah, a lot of it was do good work when you do get picked. That'll get your name called for more things, you know, take ownership in things. I think that's the big thing. You want this to be successful. Do your best to make sure it's successful, even if you have a tiny part. If you do that, then other opportunities will just come up. Whether you're asking for them or other people are just volunteering you for them, they'll come up. So. You're absolutely right. I mean, the reality is that if you do good work, somebody's going to need good work to be done and they're going to come to you. So there's definitely wisdom there. I understand you recently were the lead geotechnical engineer for a new highway. And it was going through an area with, I guess there was legacy coal mining issues. That, that sounds cool and challenging. And being that, you know, that highway class trip is what interested you in geotechnical engineering. It's almost like, you know, life came full circle. But can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? It honestly did because that field trip we went on new highway, this was a new section of it 15 years later. So I was at URS at the time. You know, it was a three-year design process and I got to be the lead geotech engineer. And there's not too many times you get to work on a brand new four-lane limited access highway going through like the woods or, you know, like uh, usually it's widenings or bridge replacements, you know, it's, it's like brand new highway project, nothing's there. So tons of planning. It was really rewarding. The Engineering Society of Western Pennsylvania has a Pittsburgh magazine. The spring 2021 issue, it's the latest one right now, has an article on the entire, this whole new section of highway that's opening this year in October 2021. So if anybody wants to read more about it, go check that out for sure. We uh, drilled more test borings, did more testing than I ever did on any project, uh, installed monitoring wells. There was different sections and some were deep mined and some were strip shallow mined. But we had the one section kind of in the center where we had both. The high hillsides were deep mined. And then the valleys, they stripped the coal and then backfilled with the spoils. Most challenging thing, I would say, was the area of the spoils where they backfilled the strip mining was actually plugging the mine pool in the deep mined area. You have 10 feet of soft soils. What do you, you're going to go in and just dig them out, right? And put in better fill or recompact, whatever. Like if we dug this out, we were unleashing like, 
this whole mine pool, like a lake of water underground, you know, into this town. So it's like, we can't do that. What are we going to do? So we, we ended up designing stone columns to kind of act as wick drains and kind of bridge the fill. And then we put like a 10 foot rock blanket and then built the fill over that. And then we grouted deep mine areas and had to pre-drill piles for bridges through the deep mine. And there's actually an eight span bridge out there and it has three different foundation types on it, piles, caissons, and spread footings on rock. And it just like at the bottom of the valley, we were below the coal actually, so we could do spreads on rock. And then as you came up out of the valley, we a different thing just worked for a different reason. It was probably like one of the most challenging, but rewarding projects I worked on. And I'm excited in October to years later, now that's built, I can go drive on it. You have a lot of different foundation types there. Was a lot of that driven by the geology or cost? I mean, how did you get it? To it was cost because the- um, there was two bike trails, a stream, two state roads all in this valley. And the coal seam was kind of like halfway up the valley, maybe. The two piers and the two abutments were above the coal seam and everything else was below it. So it was a little bit of geology. And then caissons worked for most of the piers, I believe, because of cost, actually. It was just the footprint of the footing was smaller. So like we didn't have to, the shoring design was just getting too big to put in a pile to piled pier. It was cost related and the geology was kind of a mix of everything. How important do you think it is to learn something new or to work with new people or to diversify in your career? And if you think it's important, how can somebody do that? I mean, it's been very important to my career. Networking is huge. The more people you know, the more opportunities come up, I believe. The more skills you obtain, a new opportunity comes up. And like we were saying earlier, if, if you're that person that uh, is the go-to person who's willing to jump on new assignments, like it's just going to only help your career. Maybe I'll be the only person to to quote uh, Tony Robbins on this podcast, (laughs) but he says, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I like, I mean, maybe that's a little harsh, but there's some truth in that, right? I mean, if you're not like learning new things, developing, I feel like you get stuck in a rut, just kind of doing the same types of work all the time. So at least for me, that's kind of kept it exciting, was diversifying. What would you say to um, someone that's curious about how to motivate people to put forth the greatest effort? And working on a project or a task, a lot of the projects you're talking about, these things take a long time. How do you keep engineers engaged for that long? That's a tough question. I mean, because different people are motivated by different things, right? Some people, it's money. Some people, it's, I want to be the expert at this one thing. So how do you motivate somebody? My motivation was always, I would pick somebody who like was at the career place or doing like managing a big project. I would write down like, hey, I want to be Jack in five years. He's running this big project. That's who I want to be in five years. I wouldn't just like think about it. I'd like write it down. And then like engineers love processes, right? Create a process to get there. And I had a great group of senior geo guys when I was starting out, but I used to bug them constantly. And not just about geotech stuff. Like I'd be like, why is this guy in this group doing this? And why is this? And why'd you make this decision? And just constantly asking questions. I mean, if you want to go after, pick the people's brains who. Uh, are doing the stuff that you want to do. And I think that'll motivate you to, to advance, right? If you have set goals and you're going after them, you'll be motivated to make a project successful. So. And especially if people are willing to let you bug them, right? <laughs> if somebody says they have an open door, it's like, go in the door, right? That's true. Yeah, I used to have a Walter guy worked with a PhD level, really, really smart and I learned a lot from him. But uh, 
a lot of the junior staff would be like, oh, I'm scared to talk to him. And I'd be like, he knows so much. Like, go talk to him. You know, like, and once you got him talking, he was great. He was just a little shy. Yeah, maybe intimidating. I don't know. But you won't know unless you go after it, right? When we start thinking about the career, continuous education is very important. But if somebody's working full time and they want to grow in their career, how do they get an advanced degree while working full time? I mean, it sounded like you did something like that. Can you give some tips for that? Biggest thing I'd say is start early because you're already in that mindset of school, right? If right when you start working, jump into it. Most people want to get their PE. If you're in that mindset of taking classes and uh, taking tests, then when you go to take your PE test, like it's only beneficial. You're kind of already in that zone, I think. So it's got to be hard if you haven't taken a test in four years to go study and take a test. I thought that was my hugest advantage. I was taking advanced soil mechanics and all these classes. And then it was like, go take this PE test. And I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. I mean, I've been taking tests. So start early and get buy-in from your manager. You need buy-in. You need them to be committed to that degree as much as you are because they can't be sending you to Gonda to do test boring inspection <laughs> if you're or whatever, you know. I like, got a review class on Thursday, right? How's this going to work? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, yeah, you need buy-in. And I did it in person with online classes. Now it's got to be easier to fit in. You know, everything's getting, if you're in a hotel somewhere, you can at least get the class. Timing is important though. I, I know a lot of folks that, you know, I, I always tell staff, you know, let me know and remind me, right? So that like, if you have to leave a certain time on a certain day to take your class or to do problems, you got to let us know. Because we don't know you're studying for the exam. It's like, oh, I had the test and I didn't get ready for it. It's like, nobody wins, you know? communications and everything and not just engineering. I'd love to hear more about the projects that you did over in Jamaica and also in Uganda and what that experience was like. And also, how did it benefit your career? Jamaica, like I said, it was like really early on in my career, uh, six months in. I'd never been out of the country outside of Canada and I'd never been on a plane before. And here I am like jumping on a plane, going to Jamaica to drill test boring. So, you know, it was kind of a wild experience. Luckily, I had two senior guys who were going with me. It was really interesting. Gives you an appreciation for like different cultures and meeting different people. And you're not just doing work in this little city or state you're in. You're seeing this stuff on a global scale, which I thought was just so amazing. The first week we arrive, you know, we go through our training and safety stuff and we're sitting in a trailer waiting for the equipment to come. We hired drillers in Miami and they barged the drill rig in the container to Jamaica. You've probably heard like island time, like they would say, oh, soon come soon. Like, when's the barge going to be soon come, soon come. You know, we're waiting, 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 like finally Friday. And we're planning on working seven, like 12s or more. Just we want to drill these borings and get back to the U.S. You know, like we're just going to do this work. The container comes like Thursday night to Friday morning. We're like, there's this padlock on it. And they're like, oh, the inspector has to open this. When's this guy coming? Like, oh, soon come soon. It was like Friday at three o'clock, I think. And the guy shows up. We're like, can you unlock the container? All the drill rods are in there. And he looks at the manifest. He goes, there's 400 items on here. That's going to take all day. And he goes, I'll be back Monday morning. <laughs> and what are we going to do all weekend? The drilling manager tried to convince him you know, to open it, but it wasn't happening. So we, uh, we ended up going to Ocho Rios for the weekend. It uh, got to spend it in Ocho Rios. So that was nice. You know, I got to see a resort for, for two days. But uh, yeah, then we got back and we drilled the borings. And it was about three weeks. So that was neat got to see different geology. So Uganda was a totally different experience. It was also an amazing experience, but they found 
oil in Lake Albert, which is the lake between Uganda and Congo. And it's way on the west side of the country. And the airport in the capital city, Kampala, are way on the east side on Lake Victoria. They wanted a local engineering firm to design well pads. And they put in their proposal, you have to team with an expert in well pad design oil and gas. So ACOM had a Uganda office and they uh, teamed with a local civil firm. And then they went back to pit the Marcella shale and all the shale gases, Houston. They just grabbed resumes and sent them to this firm. So like my resume got sent and uh, talk about like just unique opportunities and how they come about. I heard some about this project, wasn't sure what was going on. And then I find out our team won the project. And then I get a copy of the proposal and I turn to like page 30 and there's an organizational chart. Top of the chart, team leader, Luke Turco. So I get these emails like, when can you be in country? And, you know, I got three kids, wife at home. And I'm like, I got to think about this. Am I going to do this? Like, do I back out now? Like, I felt bad backing out. That was the team leader. <laughs> like, even though I didn't volunteer for that, right? So we flew in Niles, who's a great engineer out of a Denver office. We actually met. We had talked on the phone on these Zoom calls with the client. We actually met in person in Kampala, getting off the plane, like in the dark, trying to find our driver. So then we get there and the roads are so bad to get to the well pads because they're way on the other side of the country. Like, we're going to fly there. We get in this like 16 person plane with uh, all the Ugandan engineers and great people. Everybody was so nice there. It was amazing. Experience. We get on this plane, we fly uh, over to near the well pads. And the plane goes down and it skims the bottom and it shoots back up. And I'm having a heart attack. Like, what is going on? Ugandan guy next to me, he goes, there's Cobb on the runway. And it was a grass runway, you know, Cobb. And I looked at it, it's like their version of a white-tailed deer. There had to be like hundreds just eating grass because there's this cleared flat area, like out of the middle of like the forest. So he did that like three times before we finally landed. I was like, but at least I was expecting it the next few times just to clear him off the runway. And uh, we went and saw the well pads and then flew back. It ended up being Niles was more the expert they needed, not me. But I, I tried to contribute and do the best I could to help them. Sometimes they didn't have the training, like the AutoCAD or this training that we have in the U.S. So I kind of was more of, hey, I'll hook you up with this guy who's an expert in civil 3D. And, you know, they're always appreciative. I just tried to keep things moving along. As far as geotech, they had a local, I think he was the professor of soil mechanics, like a Kampala was on the project. He's going to know more about the soil in Uganda than I ever will. So, you know, like that, it did kind of rejuvenate my career. I feel like, you know, something exciting and new kind of gets you back engaged with a profession. Anytime you're able to step outside of your comfort zone, you're going to grow. What would you say just advice to the listeners for how to advance their career? You gave some tidbits here, but just you know, if you're looking at your younger self, what, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? If you get small assignments, I mean, that you don't like, do the best you can with them. Still put your best foot forward. And then you may actually not realize later in your career, that'll help you. Like I was saying, I did like low more reviews for, for six months. You know, maybe at the time I probably was complaining, oh, I wanted to do this. I, you know, I need to start my geotech career, you know, like not reviewing flood maps. And then, but now that I look back, I'm like, oh, I made the best of that. And now if I'm sitting in meetings, somebody's talking about HECRAS models or whatever, like I, I know what they're talking about and I've seen it and reviewed it. That would be my advice. Just any opportunity you get, do it to the best of your ability, even if it's not your favorite thing you're doing, because 
showing that you do good work and that meet new people, it's going to be worth it in the end of your careers. So right now we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back in a moment and close this one out with Luke and our career factor of safety in segment. Stick around. Welcome back. It's time for our career factor of safety in segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your actual career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Luke Turco. Luke, you've already had a very successful career. Now, when you look back at your career, what's one thing you implemented in your career to give yourself, let's call it a factor of safety in your career? My uh, support system, my wife and my kids, my family, that's my safety factor. Because if you set goals in your career or dreams or you want to go after a new job or a new opportunity or whatever in your career, if you have that solid support system, whether it's friends, family, whatever, even if things don't work out, you take a chance and it doesn't work out, you still know at the end of the day, they're going to have your back. So that's my safety factor. When you have the home team, the home team never loses. So that's great. That's right. Luke, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sharing all the great insights with us. And I, I know the information that you shared and the advice is going to be helpful to our listeners. Now, if a listener wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get you? Are you on social media or an email you want to share? Yeah, you can look me up on uh, LinkedIn and uh, check out uh, NavarroWright.com for uh, everything Navarro and Wright does. So great company. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, man. It was great to be on. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 28, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.